Hey, Chirocasters. This is Dr. Drew Rubin. I had the great privilege this weekend of speaking at the Pediatric Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, very excited to share with you what I talked about in a three-part series. So today is going to be the first uh, part, 20 minutes, and then I'll have two more 20-minute episodes as the week progresses and next week as well. Also, got to thank my sponsors. Got to thank PCD, Preferred Chiropractic Doctor. Got to thank um, ChiroWrite, my amazing computer program that's helped me very tremendously. And I got to thank, now you know, our amazing website host that constantly helps me bring new patients in the door. You will hear a brief introduction by Dr. Caleb Scroggin. And now, here's the podcast. That's it. 
right? That's the law. If I drop this thing and it's going to go down every single time, well, if you want success, you follow the law. And I'll, I will tell you, the biggest mistake I see chiropractors make, and the biggest mistake I see students make, is they don't follow the law, and they think about what they don't want, and they think about what they don't want to happen, and they think about all these negative things, and then they wonder why they're not successful. Right? But the universal law is like this. Like, the sun. Does the sun ever say, ever, at any particular time, I'm tired, I need a break. I'm just going to turn off for a couple of years, and then I'll turn back on and give you some more sun. But right now, I'm kind of done. No, because the universal law is about what? It's about abundance. It never stops, right? And that's the abundance we got to tap into, right? So when Dr. Sue and Dr. Terry were talking about tapping into the, these markets, you know why it's so amazing is when you tap into the market, you're tapping into universal law, and you're opening the spigot even more, right? Because people want what we got. They're asking for what we have. Right? And it's all about the key. And you know what's really amazing too? Is watch this. I'm going to show you something really kind of cool. That was a miracle. You know how that was a miracle? Why is it a miracle for me to be able to do this and then catch the key? Not because I'm some kind of clutch or something. That's not it. So, so that wasn't the answer. So, so, so if I go like this and I drop this key, why is that a miracle? Because I just suspended a universal law. Isn't that cool? Right? Isn't that cool? Right? Because the, the law says it's going to drop like this, and I can actually create a miracle and catch it in midair like this, and I just suspended a universal law. Right? But I added another law you know, to that, and that's the law of success, because that was my design. My design was to catch it. Right? That's how it works. Right, Adam? That's how it works. This guy from Logan came all the way here to listen to this. That's amazing. Right? He has got the law in his head already. Right? That's how someone becomes successful, is they try, Dr. Amanda comes from Wisconsin. That's the law. When you, what you put out comes back. Right? And that's what it's all about. So I'm so proud that I have this beautiful key because this is a great conversation piece uh, to talk about tomorrow. It's cool. But, um, so I want to talk to you about what I think is the, the most important topic and we've all mentioned it, what's amazing is, is that even though all of the speakers uh, have not in any way, shape, or form had any communication with each other about what we're going to talk about, we're all talking about the same things. And not just chiropractic, you don't have any chiropractic, not just about pediatrics, we all have the same thing. Like when I zip through my PowerPoints, you're going to be like, wow, Dr. Bronstein talked about this, and Dr. Marshall talked about this, and Dr. Stuart Perry talked about this, and Dr. Chong talked about this, and we're all talking about the same thing. Right? It's because there's this cosmic consciousness. This happens a lot when we're in these kind of seminars. There's this cosmic consciousness that kind of pervades things. And my thought process is about what's wrong with our brains. Right? And if you think about it, I, I, want, I want you guys to expand your thought about what a concussion is. Dr. Bronstein says something that I thought was super cool that I never thought of before. And that was that when a baby is going through the birth process, can they actually create or have a concussion because of birth trauma? And I never thought of it exactly that way. You'll see that we're on the same wavelength, but I never thought of like the actual act of going through the birth canal. Can, can that create a concussion? And it, it, it ties in with this, because is it possible to have a concussion of forces that are not related to physical trauma? Right? D.D. Palmer, back in the late 1890s, created these three T's, right? The trauma, toxins, and thoughts. Is it possible that 
Aside from trauma, is it possible that toxins can create a concussion of forces that can actually affect neurology? Right? So is it, does, is, does the word concussion have to be limited to a physical impact? And my answer to that question is no. I don't think it does. I think it can, a, a concussion can occur with toxins, with all the toxic environmental stuff that we have to, to, to take in and deal with all the time. And thoughts. Is it possible to have such emotional stress that that creates a concussion of forces within our brain and nerve system that will produce a concussive-like problem? And I think the answer is yes. And I'm going to kind of talk to you about this. And here's, here's the reason why I started thinking about this a couple of years ago. Right? I read this article in the Journal of Behavioral Neurology. Pediatric traumatic brain injury and autism elucidating shared mechanisms. Interesting facts. <clears throat> Since the year 2000, both concussions and autism has doubled. Interesting fact, they have very similar symptoms, especially primitive reflexes. Look at this. These are the symptoms that concussions and autism share. And I know it's hard for you to read back there, so I'll read it to you. Anxiety, stress, balance, coordination, communication, depression, emotional issues, dysregulation, executive functions, etc., etc. They share a lot of things. And why did this happen? Because a couple of years ago, in my practice, in the morning, we had a child come in who had a concussion, and it was very interesting. We took our history, did the exam, etc. And then in the in the afternoon, we had a child come in who was was high functioning autism, not low function, high functioning autism. And if and after we did the history and the exam and stuff, I sat there saying, you know, if the mom didn't come in with a label on the child, I wouldn't have known if it was a concussion or autism. So it started making me think of all these different things. And it, is it possible, like autism, a child with autism did not have a concussion like a, somebody playing football. But they're having shared symptoms. How is that possible? And that's what people made me start thinking about all these other things. So then I saw this other article. It's called Early Brain Injury Might Be the Root of Autism. And it came out of this article from the Journal of Neuron, The Cerebellum Sensitive Appears in Autism. How many have read this article? This is probably one of the most powerful articles. If you don't know this, take a picture right now of this thing or write it down. It's, the, it's from the Journal of Neuron in, let's see, I can't read it. There's a date here. I can't read it. Oh, it's cut off. It's the Journal of Neuron, but yeah, you could, if you take a picture of this, you'll be able to find it. The cerebellum sense appears in autism. And there's a very interesting word. I'm not a big fan of this word, but, you know, it's going to grow on you as we keep on talking about it. It's called diaschesis. Sort of a mouthful, diaschesis. I actually had to look it up to make sure I pronounced it correctly. Uh, diaschesis, developmental diaschesis. And what they were saying in this particular paper is a child who has a, a developmental diaschesis, this is how it occurs. There's sensory or other information that is obviously coming into the baby, even in utero, right? In utero, you may not think about that, but the reason that the primary reflexes develop in utero is because there's stuff being taken in, right? They can hear mommy and daddy's voices. <clears throat> they, can, they can sense they have a slight amount of vision because they can see darkness or, or light in different colors. So they have a sense of touch. All these things are happening even in utero. But if, even if it's out when they're first born, if there's an injury, if there's something going on in their cerebellum, there's a focal injury in their cerebellum, then that will affect the thalamus, which will later on affect the cortex. And what are those potential injuries? And this is not a chiropractic journal, right? This is like a high-impact neurology journal. The things that they found, these medical doctors found, were genetics, which of course they're going to say that with everything, stress, and the environment. 
Isn't that amazing? So what does that mean to me? Is that stress can cause a concussion, concussion of forces. And the environment can cause concussive forces. So that is why children who develop autism have a similar look to children who have, high, who have a concussion. There's a similarity there. So if you look at this, the, the way they are describing it, the cellular dysfunction may disrupt the maturation of distant cortical, neocortical circuits. So what a diastasis is, is that if something happens over here downstream, then later on something happening can happen over here upstream that can affect the way the child is functioning. Right? It's the downstream versus upstream regulation. Right? And I think Dr. Bronstein mentioned that before. So I think this is unbelievable and it makes sense as to, like when I was researching this, this concussion and autism similarity. And then I thought about this. Can there be an in utero or prenatal concussion? Right, so we are, Dr. Bronstein mentioned the, the birth injury concussion. Well, what about when they're you know, gestating, when they're percolating inside that, that mom? It, can there be an in utero or prenatal concussion from the baby's position in mom? If the baby is breached, as an example, right? So you've got a breached baby who's smashed up against mom's ribs over here. Can that create a concussion of forces that could be a downstream, upstream kind of issue that will later on affect their brain? My answer is absolutely. Can environmental stress cause that? What happens if the mom has some unbelievable amount of stress during her pregnancy? Who knows what that might cause? Because those stress hormones, that cortisol, norepinephrine, epinephrine, etc., has been shown by a lot of research to cause problems in development of brains. What about chemical toxicity? What happens if the mom's exposed to certain kind of chemicals during her pregnancy? Um, that can cause all kinds of issues. So, so when we look at this, we see the, the mounting evidence that the word concussion, I would like to suggest, is not just a word that has to be from a physical trauma. The word concussion can be something that, from the three T's, not just one of the three T's, but all three of the T's, proven by science, right? So it can be trauma, it can be toxins, and it can be thoughts. <clears throat> and coming from that one paper also, the autism ASD is autism spectrum disorder. Autism risk increases with early cerebellar injury. So if you look at all the ration, all the big reasons that they have come up with that might be, cause an early cerebellar injury, which is the, the downstream, upstream kind of issue that they're talking about, the number one issue is autistic identical twin, but the number two issue is cerebellar injury at birth. And where did that cerebellar injury at birth come from? From the environment or from stress? according to the, this journal article from the Journal of Neuron, right? Powerful stuff. You know why is it so powerful? Because who is going to take care of these kids, number one, after they come out of the, the mom? And even more importantly, who's going to take care of them while they're gestating? And like Dr. Marshall talked about, who's going to take care of them before they're even pregnant to make sure that their body's working as best as it can be, right? Who else, who else is going to do this? Is there anybody else? on the planet who can say, we'll do all this. Like, you really think about it. There, a pediatrician only takes care of kids. An OB only takes care of, you know, <clears throat> of pregnant moms. The, a fertility specialist only takes care of women who are looking for fertility issues. We can take care of all of them. There's nobody else like us. Right? Do you see how powerful we are? Like, this is unbelievable, the potentiality we have, because we can take care of the whole gamut, right, from preconception to while they're, the baby's gestating to after the baby is born. Nobody else, there's no other health professional that can do all of that. 
the way we can, and especially in the way that we can. So it makes me so excited. And then I see this next paper, right? I'm, I'm, I, I read journal articles the way most people read, like, science fiction and romance and stuff. I just love this sort of stuff. So <clears throat> somehow or other, I found this article, Incidents of Somatic Dysfunction in Healthy Newborns. This article gets me very upset, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But first off, let's, let's just get the results. Okay, so the instance of somatic dysfunction in healthy newborns. What, the, what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. This is an osteopathic article. Somatic dysfunction, well, how, what would we call it? Subluxation, right? But they call it somatic dysfunction, whatever they want to call it, it's fine. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. But here's the deal. Here's the results of the study. 99 out of 100 newborns had cranial, cervical, or sacral strain. Here's the, here's the result section from the abstract. 100 newborns examined. In 99 newborns, at least one spinobasal synchondrosis strain was pattern was present. Um, temporal bone restrictions were found. In 95 uh, first, uh, uh, newborns, temporal bone restrictions were found. Uh, cervical restrictions found in 91. And sacral base uh, in 80%. That's unbelievable. That means in 99 out of 100 newborns that these guys uh, examined, they found some sort of subluxation. Here's my big question for you guys. And since probably maybe three quarters of you guys are students and one quarter docs, here's the question. Why is this in the journal of the American Osteopathic Association? Because what's in the journal, what's in chiropractic journals? Yeah, back pain. How can we take care of back pain? How can we compare back pain to exercise, right? And I read these things, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me to think that after 123 years, we're still focusing on uh, the inter-examiner reliability of leg checks. Like, I'm not interested, right? 123 years, can we just get past the leg checks? Can we get past back pain? Yes, I know there's the opioid thing, and everybody's talking about back pain with opioids, that we should replace the opioids. Yeah, so we should become like a chiropractic opioid, you know, replacement thing. I think, like Dr. Stuart Terry was saying, in my practice, the first person to come into the practice is the kid. Right? And then the rest of the family comes in. That's how chiropractic should be. Right? That's, that's to me what makes sense. Right? That's how I like it. And what, but when I see that this is in the, the journal of the American I get sad. Like, why aren't we doing this research? So here's the thing, guys. Start writing papers. Start writing papers. Will you please? And don't just say, I don't know how to do it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Go into... Dr. McCoy's journal, and look at a paper there, and then pretty much follow that outline, right? You got, and you have to write an abstract, write an abstract, it has, it has like a context, objective, methods, results, conclusion. You have five sections, right? So here's your abstracts, 200 words, right? You have some keywords, and then you just kind of follow that, and you just expand each section, right? And I don't care if it's just a case study, who cares, right? Show the world what we do. And yet, better yet, instead of just doing a case study, because you guys can see a lot of kids, do a, a case series where you have 10 kids who had autism, or 10 kids with ADHD, or 10 moms who were pregnant, right? Or 10 preconceptive cases. Don't just do one, do 10, or 12, or 20, or whatever. And maybe pair up with some of your other chiropractors in your community or your local area, and pull, pull it all together, right? What the hell are we so afraid of, right? We have to... How are we going to start getting studies like this out there unless we start writing papers, right? But most chiropractors are afraid of writing papers because, well, actually, I don't know what they are, but they shouldn't be.
right? We should just be, we should be publishing this up. This should say the